Welcome to Veterans in Academics. This podcast highlights people and topics where the veteran experience and academia overlap. Join your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, in this groundbreaking content. Each week, we explore new stories, topics for you. Hello, and welcome to Veterans in Academics. I'm your host, Luke McLeese, and today I have Bob Habib. Bob, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Hey, thanks, Luke, for the invitation. It's great to be here. So yeah, I am a 22-year veteran of the Army and uh, currently serving in multiple roles like most, like most veterans post-service. I, uh, I am uh, serving as a training specialist for the United States Coast Guard, Department of Homeland Security. And then the other half of my life I spent uh, in higher education with Regent University in which I serve uh, in many different roles. But one of them is an adjunct professor for our School of Business and Leadership in which I teach innovation courses, design courses, and foundational leadership courses for master's and doctoral level students. And then the other half of that, that life with Regent is I serve as a prior learning assessment coordinator which is PLA, which basically takes, takes, takes a look at learning experiences that have come to the table um, with students from other things other than academia. And then we take a look at that and evaluate and award credit accordingly where credit's due for these students. And it's something that we've, we've kind of revitalized in the last few years at Regent uh, in an effort to really help the persistence and the retention rate of our students. Because we found that as they go through college and things, students that, that are able to earn credit appropriately for life experience life beyond the classroom, um, their retention rate and graduation rates are significantly higher. So professionally, that's what's kind of what's going on with me now. I have, um, I'm also dabbling in, in, in various uh, medium outputs as far as having great com- communication and, and um, conversations with our community through some basic book writings, through some um, articles, through podcasting and things like that, really just trying to get a deeper conversation going to just help our community engage and make complex issues, make them very accessible for everybody. Very interesting. Very interesting and very exciting. And I, I look forward here over the next few minutes to, to really digging in deep to these things that you're doing. So let me ask you something based off some of the things you just said and, and your experiences in the military and as a veteran, and then of course in academics, what is something that you see that uh, as veterans in the academic space, we're doing well right now? Yeah, it's hard to pick one thing only, but uh, the thing that I think that sticks out the most is really the ability, what I've seen with veterans is demonstrating a relatively new approach to this world of work of higher ed, right? It doesn't mean that we have all the answers, that we have all some new amazing ways. It's just typically what I've seen in higher ed is that veterans bring to this space something that is is not unique from a, a professional perspective, but oftentimes when we bring to the table a sort of a, an attitude of like, yes, we can versus an attitude of yes, we can't. Um, I think that's something that's, that's significantly different. A lot of higher education institutions, uh, most higher education institutions, I, I sort of refer to as the big cruise ship, right? If you're going to turn, turn direction, right, that's not happening in a second, right? It takes several layers of um, sometimes bureaucracy, conversations, uh, what you name it, policies, procedures, all those types of things for things to change. And what veterans a lot of times bring is like, they don't let those things discourage them so much. It's like we, we have a maybe a, sometimes a greater sense of resiliency, a greater sense of persistency where we say, okay, that avenue is closed. Let me try a different way, right? When you, when you think about most military cultures embrace like, you know, the, the ideology of adapt, overcome, improvise. That's a, that sometimes is a unique, is a unique way of approaching work, especially within the role of higher education where there's potentially a lot of red tape or a lot of um, barriers that are up there and, and rightfully so most of them are there 
but veterans like just typically find ways to to build new relationships and and, and to learn uh, more about it of how to how to overcome that barrier as opposed to just letting it be right we we typically don't like the adage of well that's just the way we've always done it and we're just not we're just not going to accept that and so right. we're going to keep pushing appropriately that's what i've seen at least in my from my lens a lot of veterans are, are willing to just push that envelope somewhat where we say yes we can we'll find a way to do it uh, even if we don't know how right now but we will get there as opposed to saying well it's just kind of too hard and we're going to back off and just let it be so I think that's the one, if I had to pick one, it's really demonstrating these new approaches to the world of work in, in the sense of persistency and resiliency. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and that's something that I think, you know, when we transition and, and those spaces going from military culture to the civilian culture, things are slower, right? But then you go from military culture to a campus and campuses are even run slower than regular civilian culture, right? So <laughs> it's very interesting. And, and you're right. Like, you see this all over the place, people on campuses that are improving things for veterans more than more often than not are it's stemming from veteran, right? And so it's really interesting. I think it highlights nicely, uh, which, which exactly what you just said. So with that, what, give me the opposite of that, Bob, from your view. What, what do you think is something that we could improve upon as veterans in an academic space? Great. So there's, there's, Again, it's hard to narrow just one thing down, right? Because we're all improving right. in how we operate. But there's right. two things that really go hand in hand. It's one is that I would say we need to improve on really getting a better grasp of organizational culture before we push the envelope too much. And along with that, kind of the front end is like we need to leave any sense of entitlement at the front door. So we need to do a better job of just being humble, walking into a new space, especially one that's significantly different than that of the space we just left from an organizational culture standpoint, right? And so sort of the example I could, I, I like to, to, to sort of chat with folks about is when I came into higher ed space, again, I had this attitude, like, for sure, we're going to get this done. Like, let's, let's, let's find ways. And that mentality um, was met with some resistance. And, and my initial thought was like, this is bogus. Like this is, this doesn't make sense to me. Why wouldn't we want to progress as an institution, as an organization, not really understand the culture so much because I was so new. And I pushed the envelope pretty significantly on a, on a, on a project that I sort of took on my own as a very young uh, person at the, at the university. And it was met with significant resistance. Even though the, at the end of the day, the outcome of that project was really beneficial to the university and to our community, the fact that I, I, I sort of ramrodded it through this process, you know, rubbed people the wrong way. Really, so what I learned was like, okay, so I've demonstrated to myself I can do it. Like I can, I can be persuasive enough. I can build enough relationships. I can, I, I can leverage those relationships in ways to get things done. But I didn't understand the organizational culture that was within higher ed, certainly not within the university that I was serving. And so I think it's one thing to really take away is like I would, I would highly encourage veterans, like find those spaces where you can push those envelopes uh, and they're going to vary depending on the institution and, and what your role is. But really get to know the culture, get to know how things work, get to know the people, get to know the stakeholders, get to know the people that, that can help you, you know, move things forward, understand who the naysayers are, right? And then, you know, try to try to win over hearts and minds, right? Like you, you build this sort of community of effort. That's how you get things done. I didn't know that uh, initially. And, and, and my mentality was, hey, let's just get it done, right? Well, I'll figure out a way. And if you don't give me the answer I want, I'm going to go around and find somebody else, right? Kind of like the army way. So right. that's, and what I found out is like, that's not, that's not really 
always effective. And I found that other veterans that I've served with in this new capacity have all has all they've all all felt that in some degree. Uh, and so I think that's one thing we just need to take a look at is like, you know, we, we say this in leadership schools all the time. Like when you take over a new responsibility, like don't go changing things the first day. You want to sit back and observe and really see how things are going, see how things operate, understand the people, understand the culture. But we need to take our own advice. And I think that that's something that that maybe veterans are hesitant to do because they want to get in the door and, and, and demonstrate excellence right away and demonstrate that they can do great things. But sometimes you really have to just slow down and understand what it is your 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 sort of what capacity you can play and how how much influence you can assert given the culture of the university absolutely i think you think you're so right it, there's there's so much of a need for context because things have been so different and 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 you're right so many people take on like well this worked before right but the context was completely different the culture was completely different uh, structures you know so many different variables so being able to come onto a campus and, and reassess all that and that's hard that's really hard i think you know sitting back and saying okay i'm going to observe do exactly what you're talking about you know kind of start that psyops routine it might take a whole semester right it might take a whole year but uh in the end this is one of those places where, where those gears move slow anyway. So even if you took that time, you still might be ahead of uh, some of the others, you know? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we just are meeting on a committee and then a subcommittee of a committee to, to talk about something and not meet. <laughs> so Bob, this is great. And you've got some great insight. Tell us, tell us some about, you know, your, your history. So what was your desire and motivation to enter into the army and, and can you tell us also about some of your time while you were in the military sure yeah thanks for that um so i was a terrible high school student like to this day my mom doesn't believe i graduated high school right she can't believe it it really wasn't until i earned my doctorate when she saw me walk across the stage she's like i guess well i guess you had to graduate some point you know she it's her <laughs> so i was this terrible high school student and I, I so i had limited options i wanted to go i grew up in dc i wanted to go to georgetown university just because it was like this big thing georgetown hoyas and all those things and it wasn't until my guidance counselor had a one of those sort of come to Jesus, talk to me and said, look, you know, you're, I know you want to go to Georgetown, but honestly, your grades are terrible. Like you're, there's no chance you're going to get into Georgetown, but that was my dream. So I actually applied to Georgetown and lo and behold, you know, I got rejected. I didn't get in. So I went to Northern Virginia Community College because that was just the thing to do. If you didn't get into college, then you would just go to your local community college. So I did that. And guess what? Still epic failure. And I, I didn't really, I really didn't know why until years later. What I've come to find out is that the reason uh, I was I was failed is because I didn't have work ethic, right? I had no discipline. I didn't really understand what it meant to just work hard and then work hard for what you need to do to be successful. Like I just wanted to have the rewards without doing the work. So at some point I realized, you know, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And my brother uh, served in the army. He was in the army at the time. And I, I said, hmm, maybe there's something there. So for some reason in my head, the thought of being a United States Marine was like paramount in my brain. And so literally I went through all the processes, right? I, I went to, to the MEPS and, and I became a delayed entry program Marine. Very excited. Well, at some point my brother was deployed. He actually called me from the desert. Now this is early, this is 1990, right? That stuff, you know, you're not making phone calls regularly. He called me and said, Hey, you know, mom said that you joined the Marine Corps and I was super pumped. And he basically said, you're an idiot. Like, why would you do that? You know? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I think they're the best. And so what he told me was, look, just go back to all the recruiters and just look at it from like a, 
a job perspective or, or some, some extrinsic perspective. And whoever gives you the most of something X, just do that. Pretend they're all the same. So if someone gives you a higher rank coming in, if they give you more college money, if they have more benefits or whatever, go with that one. And so I was like, okay. So I went back, right? I saw the first, the first office I went to was the Navy office. And the guy came out and he was in the, 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 the whites with the bell bottoms and things. And at the time, that, that, was a, that was a problem for me. You know, he, he, I said, are you, is that what you wear all the time? And he said, yeah. I said, I can't do it. So I literally, that's, I walked out. That's why I didn't join the Navy. Right. Next, next office was Air Force. The guy wasn't there. So they just weren't there. So I was like, well, I guess I'm not talking to them. And the last office was the Army. And I sat down. I just had a good conversation. And I said, you know, this is what I'm looking to do. And they said, okay, great. We can, you know, we can, you can come in uh, with this, you know, E2 or E3, like even a couple of grades higher. And we'll give you a, this college fund and all these things. And you're good to go. And I said, yeah, that sounds good to me. Let's do that. So I just did that. And they, they asked me on the questionnaire, you know, is there anything that would prohibit you from joining the army? You know, they go like drugs or, or, or alcohol or, right. or you know, whatever criminal record. I said, no, 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 no. Okay. I said, well, I'm a, I'm a delayed entry program Marine. I don't know if that matters. And the recruiter was like, oh, I thought you had a real problem. Like that's not, <laughs> we'll, you know, we'll take care of it. So anyways, lo and behold, I joined the army and 22 years later, you know, I left. And during my career, um, I was able to address the things that I had been, that had led to my failure, not only as a high school student, but as a college student initially, which was, you know, I, I developed a great sense of work ethic. I, de I developed a much higher sense of discipline and, and, a, and a much higher sense of understanding what it really meant to provide service to something greater than yourself. And those things have stuck with me through those decades and then into my post-military careers um, in all kinds of fashions, even with my family, my community, those things have been super valuable. So it's the one takeaway that I have left the military with is like the, 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 this, just the sincere appreciation of having those things instilled in me as a person, because it really made me a better person. And so I'm super thankful for that. You know, my army career was, was, uh, I was very thankful to have the opportunities. I served as a musician for the majority of my career. I had several deployments. I, you know, I, I've kind of kind of like this jack of all trades person. I served as an instructor for our service school for several years and which I kind of, I learned more about education and what it really meant to develop people and, and work with a greater community toward that effort. And so I had a lot of great experiences um, and I was able to sort of get idea of my own identity uh, while I was in the military. Yes, I was serving the greater good. I had a, a, a tough job. I did a lot of tough things, but the reality was, you know, it, it started forming me as a person. I learned kind of more who I was and what it is, how I could serve, you know, long-term, even past military life. And so that's kind of, you know, my military story, you know, and it, and I tell folks too, when, you know, they ask you, how, how did you know when it's time to get out? Uh, whether you spent one year or 50 years, and I, and I, for me, I just sort of knew, like, I just feel like it's, it's time to, to move on to, to whatever the next thing I'm supposed to be doing in life is. And I just sort of felt at, at peace with that. And so, yeah, it was a great, I'm super appreciative of the time I had, you know, my battle buddies, I love them dearly. And, and, you know, we had some great, you know, crazy great times, but I learned really the most thing about myself and what it meant to, to serve the greater good through that service. So that's really the, the biggest benefit to my service for me, at least my, for my lens. I love it. I love it. Now, let me ask you. So since you were in for 22 years, did you, were, were you able to do any type of higher education while you were in? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is like one of my pain points, right? For higher ed too. But okay. so yeah, I started, um, I didn't really get serious about education until about year 10. 
you know, I was just busy with the grind of, of being a soldier. And, but really, literally like one of my squad leaders or mentors pulled me aside and was like, Hey, what are you doing? You know, how come you're not going to college and all those things? And I said, oh, I got, you know, I have time for that later. And literally he dragged me down to the education center and was like, you're going to, you're going to just start like not knowing where you're going. You're just going to start today. I was right. like, okay, whatever. So as it turned out, this was in Europe. The, the person, like the education center representative, the, she was a great lady. She took my information. I just like, I just, I'm, I'm supposed to start college. So point me in the right direction. She said, well, you don't know what you want to do and that's fine. But start, we have some elective courses or general ed, you can take those. And literally I filled out this application and she was like, Hey, you know, there's a class that starts next Monday night, you know, bring me a check for 50 bucks or $75. That was back in the day where tuition assistance only paid for like 50 or 75% of it. So <clears throat> I show up to the course and who's the person teaching the course is that lady, right? So they had like this one-stop shop and it was great. So I, I just sort of dabbled it. But like, I think many folks that are in the military that pursue education, I basically hodgepodged and piecemealed together a degree over the span of several years, right? I, I went from this community college and then I, I PCS and moved to this, then I went to that community college and then took those credits and transferred to somebody else and went that community college. And finally, after several years, I just landed on a doorstep. It was uh, Thomas Edison State College. And they, they were like all open arms, like, hey, are you done transferring stuff? Like, we'll put it all together and then you can just stay with us right into oh, the end. Great. And so absolutely. So I did that. And then I started like kind of thirsting for it. I was like, hey, this is pretty cool, right? Because you you start becoming better at it. So you like it more and you want to learn more. So it was, uh, it was, yeah. So literally from, from like year nine-ish until the time I retired, I was going to school. So, you know, 11, 12 years of school nonstop, part-time, just plugging it out. You know, I, I left, I, when I retired, you know, I had completed my master's degree as well as my education certificate to teach in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And I did all of that utilizing the resources that the army provided, all the tuition assistance, um, all the, all the, the counseling from the education centers. And then, you know, from some just really good people that were willing to give me an opportunity and then work with me over the course of that decade. But it's a marathon, right? It's, it's a really a marathon. But if you, once you become good at it, or like at least you feel good at, good about it, then it just becomes part of your routine. And so, yeah, I think we need to do a better job as a, as a community finding ways to, to get people in places where we can, we can be near the starting and also see the finish line and not have to do all this hopping around from place to place to place to place. Like it's, it's convenient. Uh, but the problem is though, you lose a lot of those things in translation from college to college, to college, to college. And so I think maybe helping soldiers or, or military families, anybody who's in those situations, find a pathway that we can define earlier on and to say, Hey, at least if we get you on this path now, you know, it may, it may take you 20 years to do it, but at least you'll know exactly where you have to go and, and hit those checkpoints. I think that'd be super helpful. So yeah, the, the military has some amazing education benefits that I think many people don't take advantage of. But I was one of those guys that were like, I'm going to keep going back until they just say there's nothing left for you to, to use. And that's, that's, that's what I did. So again, another big takeaway from the military is they provided um, not only the funding for my education, but, but they provided the, 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 you know, the really, they made it accessible for me. Right. Uh, because it was right there. I didn't have many choices, but that was just what was up offered to me. So I'm at least thankful to have had that. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love, I love exactly. You know, one thing that's come out is definitely drive and tenacity through, through every, all these interviews, but exactly what you're saying is, you know, the army made things available, even if there weren't a whole lot of things available, things were available, but it really took you realizing that and, and wanting to take part of it and then taking those opportunities and completely exploiting them. So where you could get 
every, like you said, you, you were going to take every single opportunity that they had available to you. I, I think that is uh, really remarkable. And it's, it's actually shocking to realize how many people don't take advantage of the resources that are available. Like it's, again, I understand as a young person, you know, it wasn't even on my radar, right? Until someone basically forced me into it. And so, but it's shocking like this, there's so many resources out there to be, to help you be successful. You just have to take the leap. You have to just take that step, right? And be willing to do the work. And I, I tried to instill that within, from that moment on, like everybody I talked to in my units and my command, my soldiers, I'm like, hey, we, you are going to school. Like we are doing this, right? I'll do, I'll do it with you. You know, I'll let, like, let's take math together because I hate math. So we're going to, we're going to knock it out together. You know, we'll just, we'll just, whatever it is like, but we have to do it, right? It, because it's here for us and we can't complain that at the end of the day, if we get to the end of this thing and we're like, man, you know, I've just dedicated four, eight, 20, 30 years of my life to military service. And I have other than, you know, my pride, I don't have a whole lot to show for it. Like those days, we can't do that anymore. We have to, the resources are there that the community provides us and we need to, we need to take advantage. Completely. So, so let's talk about this after 22 years and you've had a good opportunity to, to take advantage of all these things and make them work for you. What was it like when you got out of the military? What, what were your, was your initial transition like and were you still in education? What was that like for you? That's a good question. Good question. So, yeah, somewhere along the way, I realized I was like, hmm, like I like this teaching thing. Uh, I don't know really what I didn't know what it meant, but I had the opportunity to to, to you know, as an instructor to work with all these adults. And it, it was it was challenging, but I also learned a lot about myself. It forced me to, to research and to 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 improve myself to be able to then better develop my students. So I kind of felt like I sort of have a knack for this thing. And so, you know, for the last X number of years, you know, I pursued the education needed. I thought, well, maybe I could go into teaching, like public school teaching. I felt that was just the way you're supposed to, that's just a natural trajectory. Right. And so I earned the, the credentials to do that. And I retired and I, you know, I mean, my transition was relatively painless I, in a sense because I was fortunate enough to have a few months of lead time where basically my replacement had, had come to our unit. And then I was, I wasn't free and clear, but like I had a little bit more margin in my life to be able to start networking a little bit more with people to try to, to try to kind of, you know, really understand what this next chapter was going to be. So I, I'm, I was more fortunate than a lot of people I know. Like I had a few months of kind of this lead in time to what my military transition could look like. But the whole time I thought like, I need to, I need to own this thing. Like I'm going to take full responsibility for what my trajectory looks like. I'm not, going to wait for someone to help me. I'm not going to wait for someone to tell me what to do. I'm going to do as much research as I can. I'm going to talk to as many people as I can, all those things. So at the end of the day, you know, within that six to eight, nine month window from transition a few months out until a few months after, you know, I was pounding the pavement. I was, I, I took a couple of months off literally of just doing nothing, you know, have the Grizzly Adams beard going and all those things just kind of decompress. Nice. But during that time I was applying to, to, to jobs I thought I would like, and they were all in the field of education, a lot of teaching jobs and, and things, uh, probably 30 or 40 applications over the span of that few months. And I had six or seven interviews. I landed one. And uh, the one I landed was a, it was a high school teaching position here at a high school in our local area. And uh, I took that job and I loved it. It was amazing. The, the teaching aspect was, just blew me away. I was like, this is crazy. It, because it, it gave me, it sort of connected the dots. Like now I've been working with adults for several years, like within the army construct. But now here's like this sort of look at like the, the, the quite the, the tier below, right? Here's these high school students. Um, and really it gave me a better understanding of like, okay, this is why I saw 
some of the things I saw with my adult students. And this is, right. this is why it's so important that the development of students, right, is, is, is handled and, and, and really taken seriously at all ages because I can start seeing this trajectory of student development and, 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 and human development over that span. So I love that teaching job. But again, it was this cultural expectation where like I came in and like, hey, I want to do this, this, and this. I was gung-ho. Let's go. Let's go. Right. And it was like, wait, man, you got to back up. Like you have to, you got to slow your roll. You need to, you need to just take it easy. Like that's not how we do it here. And so it was hard because I'm like, I'm ready to push this envelope. And just the organization wasn't really ready for that. They were like, we just, here's what you're going to do. And we want you to do that. And as it turned out, I was very successful. I, I loved it. And Bob, let me ask you real fast. What, yeah. what subject did you teach in high school? So I was a band director. Oh, okay. Oh, perfect. Right. Okay. Yeah. okay. Great. So, Crazy town. I mean, you know, it's one thing to deal with with math kids. You know, you're you're really helping them solve complex issues with band kids. I mean, you got a whole other physical thing dealing with. You're talking about, Latin, you know, noise making machines in everybody's hands. You know, so classroom management was a big deal. And you people know. grading their spit out on the. <laughs> oh, exactly. It was crazy. <laughs> I but I I love the experience. But the takeaways from that position were. I had to learn how to work, build relationships with administrators because I needed their support. I needed the full support of the parents, which is a whole different demographic. I needed the full understanding of, of what I was trying to do from the students. They needed to buy into my vision. And then lastly, this sounds crazy, but the support staff of the high school, meaning the, the, uh, like the secretaries, the bookkeepers, the, 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 the janitors, all those things, like those are the guys and gals that make that ship run. And I learned that really quickly. I built those relationships and man, my, like I, people are like, man, your classroom is so clean. And like, you get the budget you're always looking for. I was like, I, you know, Hey, I'm just, I'm just building relationships. I don't know what that means, but it seems to be working. I kept, I kept furthering like my interest in teaching and developing people. But the same token, I felt like there was some, like there was something more and, and not more from a sense of uh, stature, not more from a sense of influence, not more from a sense of financial, whatever that is. It was just more of like, I feel like I should have a bigger impact on our community. And so I felt like I should, I should seek out those opportunities if they exist. And that was higher education. Like that seemed like here's the next level. I have experience teaching adults in the military. I wonder if that translates to teaching adults in higher ed. So literally the only job I could find was a graduate assistant job at the university, which was, which was regent that I was pursuing my doctorate. They, they had this graduate assistant job paid seven bucks an hour and you work 20 hours a week. So I remember coming home and to my, to my wife, who's a Marine. And I said, Hey, yeah, I think, I think I need to move jobs. She's like, well, what does that mean? I said, well, I need, I need to be at Regent. And she's well, you already are. You're already at Regent. You're a student. I said, no, 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 I need to, I need to work there. And she said, okay, well, what do they have? I said, well, Hey, they have this really great opportunity. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I get to do this, this, and this, and it, and it pays seven bucks an hour. I kind of shun that away real quick. So she said, you want to leave your teaching career that you're starting after a couple of years to go make seven bucks an hour working 20 hours a week. And I said, yes, I think that's what we're supposed to do. So to her credit, and I tell everybody, like I married up big time. She was like, hey, all right, let's figure it out. Let's do it. So at the time, I really wanted to, like in my head, I pictured having this crazy amount of influence at like higher education, you know, being some full-time tenured professor or like this big administrator. And I thought, for sure, I'm qualified for those things. I have 20 plus years of real world experience in the trenches, right? Doing hard, doing the hard jobs and all these things. I have the education, right? I've sort of now dabbled in, in public school. Like, for sure, I'm a, I'm a, like, I mean, who wouldn't, who wouldn't pick me up? I mean, seriously. Right. Um, and that's where, again, a little humble pie goes a long way. And I was willing to just 
just get in the door with higher education. So that's kind of my journey, that transition that led me to higher education. Wow. Wow. Fascinating. And so, I mean, that, that's great because you truly, obviously it shows. And I think when everyone hears this, they're, they're going to think that immediately that you, you wanted to be there. You wanted to be there and you were willing to make compromises and bless your wife for supporting you with that. So, you know, your, your time in, you got so much stuff, but your, your time in the military and, and as a veteran, how, how does that really informing like your life now that you're in higher ed? How's that informing the academic domain for you? That's great. So, you know, I mentioned before, like as a youngster, my, my lack of discipline, work ethic, um, really understanding of the world and the, you know, the army really provided that for me. And I, and I, I mentioned that those things have stuck with me forever. And that's true. What I found is that, so, you know, I get into this job as a grad assistant and I just start, I just start working hard. I put my nose to the ground. I, I'm, I'm humble. I'm learning. I mean, I was a, I was a recruiter for our school of education, basically calling prospective students. That was my job as a grad assistant. And most people hated that job. <clears throat> I loved it because I could talk to people and like, hey, let's just talk about education. Like, what are you trying to do with yourself? Because that was the conversation I've been having for decades. Right. But, but so I found this like, hey, if I'm willing to do the work, uh, and I didn't think I was doing anything that anything that substantial, but I was willing to do the work. I was willing, you know, I'm always on time. I'm reliable, right? I just show, I, I look the part, right? I wear a suit and tie, you know, whatever the expectation was, I made sure I was always above and beyond it, not to make myself stand out, but because that's the right thing to do. And, that, and that's what the military taught me too, right? It's like, hey, ready, you know, to, to be on time is to be late, right? To be early is to be on time, right? Be right. in the right uniform, be in the right place, know what you're supposed to do. All those things that that we just sort of take for granted, many veterans. What I found was, hey, people actually value this stuff. Like this is real, this is real stuff. And it's amazing how many people around me weren't doing those things. Yeah, right. Mind boggling. So I'm like, let me get this straight. If I just come to work when you say to, right? Do my best and like do what you tell me to do, like and and and, and be willing to ask questions and learn all those things, like that's success. And I found that, that was that it was a different mold. And so Really, in a short amount of time, um, just really just by working hard, people were like, hey, you know, we might have some other opportunities for you. And I was like, okay, <clears throat> I'll learn. And so I kind of, I, I, in higher ed, what I found too is like, it's very rare where you're going to see like a ladder, a straight line that goes from like me as the grad assistant to the president of the university. You're, you're not going to just say, okay, well, now I'm a senior grad assistant. And then I become like a full time, I don't know, an admin person. And then now I'm like a senior admin. Like, and you just keep, there's no, there's no ladder. It's like, a, it's like those dome jungle gyms. You know, it goes like a little left and up and a little bit right to the side and then up a little bit more and then maybe backwards, but way over here. It seems counterintuitive, but my, but because I was willing to learn about stuff I knew nothing about and just get in there and get my hands dirty, it broadened my experience, right? It broadened my understanding of higher education. And had I not had my military experience, like to, to basically, you know, sort of push me in that direction with having the, the ability to think that way having the ability to just work hard, put my nose to the ground and having some discipline to just get through and learn about all these different things. Those opportunities would never have come. And not because I was some stellar performer. It was just because I was willing to do the work and I owe that, you know, to the military. So that's really how the military has informed that pathway for me, you know, from, from that sense. And I'll tell you this, that earlier on, I said, look, we need to, you got to leave your sense of entitlement at the door. Right. I, so I don't care if you, if you, if you just got out after one day of service or you spent 50 years in the military. You've done something that's probably transformative for either for you or a whole bunch of other people. But just because you have doesn't necessarily make you any better off than anybody else. Because you may have 50 years of direct experience in the Air Force or the Coast Guard or the, or the Marine Corps, and you can translate it to now this new weird, weird environment of higher education. 
but it's not a direct correlation. Like you can, you can make it trans, you can relate it to it like similar skills, but you actually don't have 50 years of experience in higher education. And then it be, and it had the expectation that you walk in and be some, some senior level executive or a senior level, you know, tenured professor. It, it could happen that way, but it typically doesn't. And what I found is that not only if you, if you're willing to just come in and, and, and be humble and learn, you broaden your base, you build way more relationships, you become a known entity, your brand gets recognized, you become an asset to the organization. And by default, those things typically lead to more opportunities if you're willing to do the work. You know, so powerful. It's so, here's the thing that's the most powerful thing about what you've just said. It's that it is, it is so powerful on its own, but yet it is so simple, right? It boils down to will. I think like in, for me, Personally, I was a lot like you uh, when you described yourself in high school. You know, I'm sure it's like guys like you and I definitely were capable of, of doing the things we do now. However, I just didn't have the will, right? And <laughs> it, it took it took that baptism by fire and all of those experiences to to bring that will out of me and to realize that it was it was there all along. You know, the capability part of it was there all along. It just needed that unnamed fire to get ignited underneath the will portion for everything else to fall in place. Yeah, because, you know, we, the thing is, I think human nature says that we all wanted to do great things, right? And we all want to be successful, however we measure success. But honestly, I really think there's very few people really willing to do the work to get themselves there. And I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm guilty of it just like everybody else, right? There are times where like, eh, you know, but nothing good comes from that, right? You have to be willing to do the work. And that's why I think there's, there's areas for growth, like in our veteran transition industry and, and, and world, because I think there's two conversations happening right now. One is, one is a conversation, and, and they're both have merits, but one of them is like, look, here's, here, here's what we're going to tell you. When you get out, right, you have these amazing real world skills, you have work ethic, you have discipline, you, you understand commitment and loyalty and mission and all those things. Employers love people like that. So when you get out there, do not accept anything less than this. Like never lower the bar for yourself, right? And that's, that's a valuable piece of information, but that's a hard nut to crack sometimes in some organizations where we know that most of these senior folks that come in are not out, they're not external. Some of them are, they're, they're, they're creating their own talent pools. And to think that you could walk in with no real, real experience that's directly correlated to them is not a realistic thing. So that's one conversation. The other conversation and is the conversation I prefer it's that, look, do you have those skills? You sure do, right? Do you have this, this, that you absolutely do, right? And employers will love that stuff. So what you're going to need to do is go demonstrate those things at whatever level you need to demonstrate because they haven't seen you do it yet. So if that means you come in and you're, you're in charge of cleaning the fire extinguishers, you know what? Make that the best fire extinguisher anybody has ever seen, right? Because nobody has ever done that before. And you've taken pride and you've taken the time to do it right. That's a unique thing sometimes in, 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 uh, in businesses, right? So whatever that is, just kill it. Go in there and own it. Every aspect of those things, right? Be willing to do the work regardless of what the level is you come at it. Because if you do, people will recognize that. And that's, to me, you find what you're passionate about and what you're willing to do and what drives you. Get on, get on that crazy train and then just keep pushing the pedal down because you're going you're gonna to be a lot happier. And, and you're going to realize, like me, had I applied for the jobs that I'm in now at the time of my transition, not only would I become more frustrated because I would never have gotten a call for those interviews is because I'm not really qualified at the time. I wasn't qualified. To, I didn't, I had no idea. I had no knowledge of those things. I had no direct experience. I didn't understand how the, how the organization worked. I had none of that, but I thought I did because what someone told me, Hey, 
you're a senior, you know, non-commissioned officer and you're, you, you deserve this and don't accept anything like that. Like, yeah, pump me up. But the reality is, let me get in the door with a place that I feel good about, that I want to be able to, to serve and provide a, a benefit to the greater good. I can, I can get behind that, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be all in on that. And then I think if you keep doing those things, opportunities will open themselves up as long as you're willing to do the work. Man, I could not agree more. I could not agree more. And I think you've, you've highlighted some of these things that uh, often are, are not talked about or not talked about in the right context, you know, out there in, in popular culture. Uh, people seem to, to miss the mark with it, precisely what you're sharing with our guests. That's beautiful. So, Bob, current projects, any current projects or any soon future projects that you would like to share with our listeners? Sure. This is current now. I, last year, I released a book. It was a leadership book, and it was awesome. a, a, a choose-your-own-adventure book. I, I, I used the idea based on um, there, there was a series when I was a kid. It was called Choose Your Own Adventure, and where you these fictional stories, you would read these stories, and let's say the story was, you know, you're, uh, you're attacking a castle, and then it gets to the pinnacle of the story where, the, where that person has to make a decision, and it says, hey, if you're the, if you're the soldier, you know, and, and you uh, want to slay the dragon, turn to page 38, and then the story finishes with you slaying the dragon. And if it says, hey, if you would run away, like you don't want any part of it, then turn to page 98, and then the story finishes as if you ran away. It gives you these three options. So I used that premise and wrote a leadership book in which there are, these are real stories. These are real leadership stories in which I was a part of. And I, and I, and I talk about the leaders uh, that were facing difficult decisions in these scenarios. And then I give the reader a choice of how they would resolve the situation, just like choose your own adventure. So you pick, okay, I would, I would fire that person. That person would be terminated. Okay, great. Then per, turn to page 38. And then the story finishes out as if that leader, and then it tells you at the end, either A, this is what the leader actually did do, right? Or B, this is not what happened. If you really, really want to know what happened, turn to page 104. And at the end of each one of those, it gives you some, some just explanations about, hey, Leadership theory and best practices would sort of tell you, you might, you might want to consider these action steps, uh, but it may not. So, and sometimes what, you, what, what, what I really found cool about this is that sometimes what like leadership best practices and, and, and ideas and theories and concepts tell you to do was the worst thing that could have happened like in that scenario, because only the leader really knows the best thing that, that to do in that situation, because they know all the external variables that are at play. They know the relationships, all those things, right? So it's easy to play money Monday morning quarterback. So anyways, the book was a lot of fun to write because it gave readers a chance to sort of, if I'm a leader, I would do this. And as it turned out, hey, you know, rainbows, kittens, unicorns, perfect. Leadership theory says you should have done it. And as it turned out, everybody was happy. Maybe that's a result. This year, I'm going to continue that journey like really through my website and say, okay, uh, like continue those stories. Like, okay, now that you've selected like this, how let's, let's, let's further the discussion. Like, why did you pick that? Like what, what, what would be some ramifications of doing it? So, cause I believe that leadership can be accessible to everybody, right? You don't need a title. You don't need uh, stature, right? We're all leaders at some degree. Some are more effective than others. Some are worse than others, whatever. And we just experience those things. And so I want to have that discussion. And so this year, moving into next year, I want to sort of continue that, have that, have those stories and adding more stories, making that, that sort of more engaging as I move forward. And the second thing is that, you know, I am, it's great that you guys are, are, are killing these, this podcast here. And I like podcasts that have, that are relational, right? And tell stories and are accessible to a bunch of people. And so, you know, one of my current projects is I, I'm, I'm running a, uh, hosting a podcast. It's called The Reasonable Person Standard. And the ideology behind it is to say, 
let's take some crazy complex issues, whether it's, you could say, you could put insert anything, right? Politics, COVID, uh, racial tensions, whatever it is, or very simple conversations like, hey, why do I got to pay income tax on my tax refund from last year? Right. Or someone explained to me, you know, why my property tax is higher than this guy, like whatever easy things. But we make it, we look at it from the reasonable person standard. And that's the saying, let's get rid of the extremes one way or the other. Let's focus on the meat and potato zone and let's talk about these things. And I think by doing so, we, we, we sort of bring our community together through this conversation that says, Hey, look, I'm different than you. You're different than me. And you know what? I love that. That's what I love about our community. And as long as I'm willing to treat you with dignity and respect about the differences that we have, and then you're willing to do the same exact thing, like our world is going to become a much better place. And I think we do that by having these conversations, these just root grassroots down to earth conversations with people that says, Hey, look, I want to be different than you. Right. And you want to be different than me. Right. And that's how our world grows. And, and by having those conversations, like with this, these leadership stories and like podcasting and things like that, it's, it's a way to just have conversations and make them accessible to people that are ordinarily wouldn't feel part of that community. So Kind of the goal in the next couple of years is to continue that trend of conversations through academia, through some article writing, um, more, you know, I'd like to publish another, again, this another book and then move that podcast into a, a more engaging type of format where, you know, we can engage with people even live and, and, and through other types of, of media. So a lot of things on the horizon, but I'm, I'm super thankful for the conversations like this, because you mentioned sometimes, you know, with this space, with our, with our veteran space, it's something that, uh, you know, that's near and dear to my heart. It's that sometimes we just need to have real conversations with one another, right? And sometimes it works out to be awesome. Yes, you should do this, right? And then it works out, but sometimes it doesn't. I guess the last thing I'll say for things that are on the radar is I, I work with the USO Pathfinder team uh, and they primarily in the Southeast corridor, right? Okay. And they do amazing work for veterans and, and their families, right? They, you, can, you can link up with the Pathfinder up to a year before you get out and up to a year after, and they help you with all kinds of things from the transitional standpoint. And one of the things I'd like to do is they invite me to do these workshops. They're educational or employment related workshops. And I have real conversations. Like I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you, right? I'm going to tell you the hard truths that you need to hear, right? And I'm going to tell you the things that you're not necessarily going to want to hear, right? Those are important things to have. So it's not like my experience trumps all, all others. It's just that I want to tell you about my experience and then tell you that, hey, be prepared for all these variables and then do your best and then just get behind it. Like, the, the more real conversations we can, we can have one another, then the better off our community is going to be at large. That is a great, great way to end this because I could not agree more. I mean, Bob, very powerful. And I can't wait for people to, to hear this episode because I think there's a lot of value in everything that you've said. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Veterans and Academics. What we're going to do is when we release this episode, all of Bob's work that he makes available to us, we're going to add links uh, so you guys can be able to listen to his podcast, check out his book and all the other things that he's working on. And then in the future, we're going to do the same as, as his work progressed. We're going to be able to share that with you and, and keep you abreast of everything that Bob's doing. Bob, uh, this has been a, a real pleasure and a real honor, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. Luke, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for the invitation and for the great work that you and Michael are both doing. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you everyone for listening. Again, this has been Veterans and Academics. We thank all of you for listening. Veterans and Academics is an all-veteran production of Freedom and Prosperity Think Tank. Content creation is brought to you by Dr. Luke McCleese and Dr. Michael Bevers. Web development is by Osvaldo Vargas.